Uh, my name's Brett, as was just said. I'm one of the pastors at uh, Friday night, actually. Um, we're going to be in James 5 tonight, so you can uh, turn in your Bibles if you have, like, the ancient codex version, or if you have the modern electronic version, either one will do. Uh, James 5, uh, we're kind of approaching the end of this uh, series, as we're, we've been week after week exploring this ancient letter. Um, and before we dive in tonight, um, I thought I'd just... I don't usually do this, but I feel so impressed tonight um, that uh, maybe we should start with a, a very thought-provoking question. Uh, just, uh, just as a warning, you may need to put your, you, no joke, you may need to put like thinking caps on. This is maybe the most difficult question you've ever been asked in your life. Um, the question that I want to offer you and for you to reflect on and think about is this. When was the last time that you desperately wanted a bad situation? <laughs> I can't even give a straight face. <laughs> to end, <laughs> to end. Uh, some of you are really going to have to think about this. It's going to be really hard to think that there's like some kind of moment when circumstances felt beyond your control, when there was like a struggle, a hardship, a, some sort of crisis that just felt like it was slipping through your fingers, like it was causing you stress and anxiety and fear, maybe sleepless nights. It was dragging on longer than you wished that it would, um, whatever th that is, whatever that is, give it a name. It's okay to give it a number if you want to give it a number. Um, if you need to use the number 20 twice, that will be allowed. Um, it's perfectly okay. Um, when was the last time that you wanted a bad situation to end? I think that silly question tees us up perfectly for what um, James, early Christian leader, leader of the Jerusalem's church, brother by blood of Jesus, um, is writing as he's winding down his letter. And so let's, uh, let's take a look at it. It's James chapter 5, starting in verse uh, 7. Therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, brethren, um, until the parousia, we'll come back to it, the parousia of the Lord. The, fa the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the parousia of the Lord is near do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those as blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, we ask that you would come right now in these moments and speak gospel to us, because we are, we're, we're all in, um, in a bad number. <laughs> we're in a bad way, and we need um, to know that you're compassionate and merciful. 
We need to know that you have got us and you've got this world and we get to participate in your redemption and your renewal. So come speak right now for your servants are listening. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So James is telling his original audience, his original hearers, and everyone who is living through 2020. It's like a four it's like a four-number word. It's a four-letter word. It's going to go down in history books. Maybe. Um, he says, be patient. Be patient. It's like, <laughs> does anyone else just hate it? Be patient. It's just like gross on your lips. It's gross in your ears. I hated hearing those words as a kid. I I don't think I like them any better as an adult, really. Um, It sounded like someone's just adding awful words onto awful feelings. (laughs) Because that's the only time that somebody's saying that to you, is you already feel awful. And then they're just like, ah, be When I was a kid, there was this DuckTales Nintendo game that was coming out for for the NES, the original Nintendo, and I could not wait for any DuckTales fans in the, in the room. Can I get a show? Yes, okay, okay. There's a reboot, by the way. It's really good. Um, and it was, it was, I knew I was going to work that in somehow. Um, this game was coming out, and I felt awful about it, and so I brought my awful feelings to my mother, because you're supposed to bring, and my mother, bless her, she's amazing, but I brought these awful feelings, because that's what you're supposed to do, I trust you with these feelings, and then she says, be patient? It's like the worst, it's the worst, and I know it's hard to imagine, but there are, as an adult now, um, as much as I like the reboot of DuckTales, um, I have awful feelings about bigger things than just ducktails these days. I'm thinking about my job and other people's jobs and people that I love and the economy and viruses that are causing like global crises. And I'm thinking about keeping the lights on for my family and what does it look like to make the right decisions for my children and what's it look like to keep loved ones healthy and how do I resist, how do I resist societal injustices? I'm thinking about all these sorts of things and some of you are thinking about even like bigger things than even me, even than I'm thinking about. Some of you just come in here carrying like really heavy things, you're thinking about like, how do I maintain the payroll for my employees? Like, that's just like eating you alive. How do I do right by that person? Some of you are grieving someone that you've lost. And it's just like this open wound. Some of you are like navigating like impossible choices in life. And maybe you're like me. Maybe, can we just be real right now? When we hear the words, be patient, even though it's coming from holy writ, we're like, oh, that just sounds awful. And so let's stop saying those words for just a second. Let's say something a little bit more fun. Let's say macro thumeo. Macro thumeo. That's way more fun to say, isn't it? It doesn't disgust me. Um, it's, it's, that's the Greek there. It's just uh, macro, you know, like macro. It's big. It's long. Um, it's large. And then um, the other word that it's paired up with is thumao. Um, which means like to get angry. It, um, one scholar actually described it as uh, it's like the opposite of being short-tempered is what it's the opposite of. It's, the word literally means long-tempered. 
long-tempered, to have a, a long fuse, a long fuse that just keeps on burning. The old English used to call it, maybe you've got the King James, the, I, don't, I actually didn't look it up, but I'm pretty sure. Um, the old English, they used to call it long-suffering. That's right, they used to call it long-suffering. Be willing to wait willing to carry something, willing to endure something for a long time. The hardship, it may be like hurting. It might be aching. It may be like burning like a fuse, like that Mission Impossible fuse. And you're just supposed to like keep the fuse going, keep putting more out. When our fuse is short, we, uh, verse 9 is actually what happens. We blow up at others. We complain about other people. Or we just like blow up and destroy ourselves. That's what happens. So keep, he's like saying, keep your fuse long. He says, verse 8, he says, strengthen your heart. Endure during all of this. Macro, thameo, keep your fuse long. And Why? That's like, now we're, getting to, now we're getting to a sermon. Why in the world will we do this? I mean, what's the point in delaying the inevitable? If, if, the few, if at some point the fire's just going to reach, and, it's just, and if the bomb's going to blow, then why keep lengthening the fuse? Why not just let anger or despair just like, <laughs> just be released into the world? James's answer, of course, is that we're looking for something. We're looking for something. He's, we could say it this way. This is the heart of what he's saying right here. We hope in suffering because God is arriving. God is arriving. The Greek word that um, I left untranslated as we read through, um, it's the word parousia. It's, like a, it's a word that most translations in your Bibles um, will say coming. Um, it can just as easily mean arriving. It's almost like a technical word um, in the Roman world, in the Greco-Roman world, for when royalty would arrive. When they arrive into your city or into your house and they grace you with their physical presence, that's what parousia is. Uh, James promised us back in chapter 4, he said, humble yourselves, draw near to God, and he will he'll draw near to you. And that's what he's saying is going to happen. It's coming. The Lord is coming. He is arriving. And he uses this really special word, why we keep a long fuse, why we hope in the midst of suffering is because the Lord is what he says. The Lord is arriving. And he's happy to use the word Lord. He's happy to use it for the ancient God of Israel or for his brother by blood. Chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. He, he, it's totally interchangeable. The Lord, he came among us and he's, he's arriving again. He's coming. And James is saying he's happening like, soon, like super soon. James uses a, a cluster of images right here, verse 7, 10, 11. He uses like three images right here. He talks about a farmer. He talks about the ancient prophets of Israel. And he also talks about Job, like sitting there scraping his scabs with pottery. And all of them are willing to wait. They're all pushing through. They're all enduring for different reasons. The farmer is just waiting because 
part of life. <laughs> it's just part of life. There are some seasons that are dry, and you just got to work through the dry seasons until the rain comes. That's part of life. And the prophets, by contrast, it wasn't just part of life. They were actually uh, suffering. They're having to wait because they're willing to do the right thing. They're suffering on the margins of society for the sake of, uh, he says in verse 10, he says, for speaking in the name of the Lord. And poor Job, poor Job with his pottery scraping, that's where we are most of the time, I'm pretty sure. Um, because Job never gets to peek behind the curtain. He ne- we, the readers of his story, kind of have like some sort of inside track, but he never does. He never understands why he's suffering. And eventually, he just like gets on his knees in the midst of all of it. He chooses humility in the face of of mysteries too great for him. And hopefully, I hope you remember how the story of Job ends. Well, it's got an Easter ending, of course. It's got, a, it's got resurrection at the end of it. Job goes down in ashes before God, and God raises him up. The Lord arrives. He's arriving and Job finds himself more prosperous in the end, more alive in the end than he could have ever imagined and that he have ever experienced on the far side before his suffering. It's like the enemy arrived with this tank, came rolling up with this tank, this weapon of evil against Job, and God thinks to himself, I can steer that. I can, I can steer that. I could, I could even make new roads with that. I could, I could use that. God arrives with Job climbing into what the enemy meant for evil, and he steers it. Verse 11 calls it a good telos, a good outcome, a good goal is where God is taking even what the enemy meant for evil. We get confused, however, when we read James's letter right here, um, his encouragement, hang on in the midst of suffering because the Lord is arriving. Because this word, parousia, I don't know, there might be a theology nerd somewhere out here, but it's actually become almost like synonymous with what we confessed in the creed a few minutes ago. It's become synonymous with the second coming of Jesus is what we often call it, as if Jesus isn't here right now. But like the second arrival, the second appearing in glory of Jesus when he, when he judges the living and the dead, that's what parousia has become a lot of times in the text. And thank God, thank God that's what it's become synonymous with a lot of times because that's our hope. That's like the world's hope. That's the only hope that we've got. But James is more interested um, right now. He's interested in more than just the end of history because he keeps using, if you look at what Bible nerds write about James, um, he, he keeps using perfected verbs is what it's called right here. Verse nine, he says, um, the judge is standing at the door, like he's right there, like on the threshold, like right there. Verse eight says, the arrival of the Lord is near. In 
at hand is what a lot of translations say. Ingeken is, is the Greek right there. It's the same word Jesus used when he said the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. It's ingeken. It's, 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 it's stupid close. Like you can feel it. It's so, it's like that trick. Any kids in the room? Like you guys, the trick where you hold your, your finger up to somebody's forehead and they start freaking out a little bit because they're like, oh, I can feel something is really close right there. That's what Ngeekin means. It's like it's drawn so close that you can feel it. James, he isn't encouraging us with the very real truth, it's the hope of the world, that Jesus will come one day far away in the future, 2,000 years from when these guys read this letter, be encouraged somehow. No, he's saying he's arriving. He's, He's coming right now. The arrival of the Lord isn't just something that happens at the end of history. It's something that happens within history. It's something that happens within all of our lives. I, um, I'm not a fortune teller, and so I can't tell you what it looks like for 2020. Don't worry, you can bleep that out on the, on the video. I think somebody's 2020, anyway, reincorporate, anyway. Anyway. thank you. Um, I'm not a fortune teller. I can't tell you what it looks like for 2020. Um, but I can tell you what it looked like in 2017. Um, I can't tell you specifics about the future. I can tell you specifics just for a second about the past, though. Um, 2020 doesn't hold a candle to 2017 for, um, for my family. 2017 was just, like, it was brutal. It was... Um, the hardest year of our lives. It began with like so much excitement because we had this, our, our four-year-old was real little. She was um, turning one in January and she's like running around and so excited and we were all excited and we're also excited because we're anticipating the, bo- the birth of our second daughter in February, just like a couple of weeks later. They're, they're like 12 months apart. It was, it was fun and it was exciting and we're laughing on the way to the hospital. We're going to the same hospital we've been at. We're having the same midwife that we had. We're like, we're like got a frequent flyer punch card, you know. We're like, we're we're good. We're we're sailing. We know this. We just had a baby. We know exactly what this is going to be. But as soon as um, our uh, three-year-old Daisy, as soon as Daisy like was born uh, in in the room, you could feel like something shift in the like. You could feel it in the room. There's like this growing concern because her breathing, uh, it wasn't that strong. Her, her oxygen levels, saturation levels weren't that high. Her, her voice, she was like crying, but it sounded, I, I've only des- I've described it as, it sounded like a child crying at the bottom of a well. It was like she was crying and you could hear it, but it's so far away. And she's, um, she's awake, but she's like a, like not moving, you know, she's awake, but she's not moving. Um, and pretty soon she was like, 
um, whisked off to the uh, ICU for babies, you know, uh, the NICU. And then a, a couple of hours later, I found myself in an ambulance um, being transferred. They were transferring her to the NICU at Children's in Denver. And it turns out she, she's actually born with a really, a pretty rare uh, genetic condition um, called a centronuclear myopathy. It's a myopathy with, uh, with her muscles. Her, her muscles are weak um, is basically what it is. Um, and so we were really relieved when we actually got the diagnosis and we said, oh, that fits all the pieces together. It all kind of makes sense. It was such a relief when we got the diagnosis 15 months later. 15 months of like wondering, of sitting in the dark, of watching her um, as a four-month-old trying to turn her head, trying to lift her head, trying to eat, trying to do just like normal things. Um, And in those like months of... (laughs) of just like heartache and it's just it's some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about you just carry it all the time with you of heartache and worry and we've got a one-year-old with tremendous energy running around on our feet and we've got medical equipment arriving at our house we um 2017 we just kept experiencing misfortune after misfortune after I was pastoring uh this church a small church up in um Northwest Denver and I experienced like really deep betrayal and we had to like step, we decided we, we stepped away from the ministry, um, but we were in a parsonage. <laughs> so stepping away from the ministry uh, didn't just mean leaving our community, it actually meant leaving our home. <laughs> and so we threw down some rugs on the concrete floor of my mother-in-law's unfinished um, basement and we moved into her basement, and I took my master's degree, and I returned to my high school job for $15 an hour, and I uh, freakishly kind of like injured my foot, and I ended up working that job on crutches for a couple of months. Meanwhile, Joy's having like a root canal. Daisy ended up needing throat surgery at one point. My brother-in-law had a heart attack. Our car broke down on the side of the highway at one point. I was sending out 200 resumes and personalized cover letters nationally to churches, and I got two interviews. Well, Daisy, during this time, she wound up in ICU uh, two more times before the end of the year for a total of about two weeks between those two. Um, And then finally, blessedly, years come to an end. 2017, December rolled around, and I landed. Oh, it was best day on a Tuesday, I landed this dream job with this amazing church. And then one day later, it was a Wednesday morning, um, due to complicated circumstances beyond anybody's like control, the job offer that I had gotten um, was rescinded. And we are sitting in the basement. It's like one back at square one. So I found out on a Wednesday morning, it was Wednesday, December 6th. And I had a 10-hour shift that day. Um, and I, when I clocked out at the end of the night and I walked out into like December air, I sat down in front of my uh, car, car steering wheel and I had been certain all day while I was at work I had a lot of time in my head. I was sure, I was so angry, and I was so sad. And I was sure I was just going to come out and, like, scream and beat the steering wheel senseless. And um, to my surprise, when I got out 
into the car, I, uh, I didn't scream because I couldn't scream. Uh, some of you know, you, I just felt like I sat down and it's like a balloon deflating. It's just all, I'm just, I'm done. I don't have, like, it's like the spirit went, the, the, the human spirit went out of me. 2017 had won, is the way I felt in that moment. It, you won 2017, great. And it's like beaten me, beaten the tar out of me and like beaten every prayer out of me. And the only thing I, it was like a halfway prayer that I sat there and I put my head on the steering wheel and I just, the only prayer I could manage was I don't understand. I don't understand. And I just kept like repeating it over and over. Like all of it was just too much. It was too crushing. And that's all I had left was I, I don't understand. And then I have, uh, and then God spoke. I have like a handful of times, I could count on one hand, spooky moments when um, might as well have been audible because like these gentle words pierced my very being. Four gentle words. I kept saying, I don't understand. I don't understand. You don't have. You don't have to. And it was like this weight just been like <laughs> lifted off of me. They're, they're such God words, aren't they? They're so mysterious. They're not answering. They're not delivering the goods of like what I, they're not fast food words of like, give me what exactly what I want right now and make sure the, the order's right. He didn't tell me what I wanted to know. All, he didn't magically transform any of what I was going through, but the Lord had suddenly arrived. He suddenly arrived and lifted me, freed me of the burden of like trying to figure out all of the mess in the middle of history, in the middle of our mess, God had arrived. And I was suddenly aware that God was in Geekin. He was at hand. He was, he was, he was close. He, he was here. And he had been the whole time. Even when I was unaware, God was arriving. And I still don't understand all of what was happening in 2017, like how God was making new roads in the world or maybe in my soul with the enemy's tank. I don't know how he was doing it, but I've come to trust that he was. And I still don't understand how God uses the plans and the weapons of the enemy for the sake of good, but he does. And brothers and sisters, I'm just here to tell you tonight that you don't have to understand to endure. You can trust. You can trust. God knows what you don't, and he holds on when you can't. He holds on, especially when we're not holding on, especially when we're not clinging to him. God is clinging to you. He's clinging to me. He's clinging to us. That's the gospel, by the way, if you've forgotten it. The Lord arrives when humanity is completely unaware. He climbs 
onto the enemy's weapon, onto the cross. He turns evil towards good and he keeps clinging to us, even at our worst. And maybe you're like me and you just want to understand everything that's happening right now in 2020. Maybe you want to understand like the specifics that are happening at this moment in history and like, why? Why it's happening to you, why it's happening to your loved one, why it's happening to the world. And I'm just here to like relieve you of that burden. You don't have to carry that. You don't have to understand it all. Our hearts or our heads are not made for omniscience. Our hearts are made for trust. If you want to know what it means to be human, if you want to lean into that more in the year 2020, you were not made to know everything. You were not made to understand everything. <laughs> Newsflash, we're, we're not all-knowing. We're not omniscient. We're not God. Um, what we're made for isn't omniscience. Our hearts are made for trust. Our hearts are made for wonder. Our hearts are made for love, for faith. And so this evening, I just want to tell you, it's the only thing I'm saying. Jesus is inviting you to trust, especially when you can't understand. Especially when you can't understand. We can trust Jesus with the enemy's tank. (laughs) We can trust him. Unequivocally, Because of Jesus, your story ends in Easter. It ends, that's the way it ends. It ends in Easter. So trust that unconditional promise of the gospel when life feels like crucifixion. Trust it. The Lord, James says it, verse 11, he's compassionate. He's full of mercy. He is at work right now. He's loving you right now. He's saving right now. The Lord is arriving and it doesn't depend on you. So let's take a minute. Let's just breathe in that grace, that good news. Jesus, we confess that we do not believe this in our bones a lot of times. We do not know it in our spirits and our soul, and we are afraid, and we are angry, and we are lashing out, and we ask that you would help us repent of our impatience. Teach us what it means to trust and to endure.